it really does pay to follow God. Maybe sometimes you wonder, is it worth it on this journey, standing against the grain, standing up and standing out? Today we're going to see as we continue this letter that God wrote to his children about 3,000 years ago, this, this time capsule from the past that we're time hopping in it to the future. He's looking at his kids and it's his last letter that he writes for 400 years before John the Baptist comes and speaks. And he's looking at them and he sees just a few, few of them that are remaining faithful. And, and so he's trying to encourage them. And he's also trying to challenge those who have kind of walked away and, and aren't following him. And, and he's going to show us today that it's worth following Jesus. It's always worth following Jesus. Because in the moment, we have this peace about doing it. But future, we're, we're going to see what happens as a result of us following Jesus. And so as we've been walking through this series of Time Hop, I've just been grabbing my iPhone and gr- looking at my Time Hop app each day and grabbing some photos, looking back and looking forward. Here's a few that came up this week uh, on my phone this week. Here's a couple photos from Time Hop that appeared. This came uh, two years ago. Uh, Ann and Josh and Hannah and Isaiah went back to the old church building on Clinton Street where we began. Um, in fact, this June, I began my 20th year at Grace Community Church. Hard to believe it's been 20 years. Um, but we spent a few minutes on Clinton Street praying and thanking God at the church that day uh, where it all began 17 years ago. It's good to go back and remember what God has done. And uh, God has been so very faithful to us. We walked around the property that day and just thanked God and prayed for the church that's meeting there now. Another photo that came up in this past week was uh, four years ago on Wednesday. I was able to bag a black bear. Obviously there it's all quartered out, but that's the rug that was left. That was an incredible opportunity to uh, black bear hunt in Alaska with Sam Armington. Uh, another photo that came up, time hop from the past, uh, two years ago, we had Dad Dynasty on our campus, and those are men that you might know and might not know. Uh, top left, that's me, Jeremiah in center, uh, Pastor Jeremy on the right, Ted bottom left, that's uh, Rich, and that's Pastor John on the right. And we grew those beards in two days. It was amazing how quickly we were able to to bring those out. But we had a great Sunday Dad Dynasty for our Dad Fest uh, outside. And uh, next one that came up was uh, two years ago. Uh, Anne uh, was able to go back to Asia and visit uh, with the children. And she was on the first team in, as was my family, to see our children. And she had been praying and wondering, waiting for God to speak to her when she should go again. And that was the hug, just tears streaming down her face. And I remember when she got out of the van, those kids, girls came running to Ann and, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. It was a powerful moment. And we're headed back at the end of July, the first week of August, too. So we're excited about that. Looking back, almost 3,000 years ago, these principles, these truths, what God was saying then, we're going to time hop to the future. What's he saying to us today? How can this truth from the book of Malachi impact our lives? And I would begin by saying this, it pays to follow God. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the early church, after Jesus was ascended into heaven, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he spent days on earth, and he visited, ministered to those who were followers, and then right before he left, and he went back to be with his Father God in heaven, there's this passage in Scripture in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Jesus had something to say. He could have said anything. Jesus could have said anything he wanted. He could have said, farewell, so long, give me a hug, I I love you. But the last words that Jesus spoke on earth were words of evangelism. And he said this to the disciples and the people that were gathered there. He said this, go and be my witnesses. 
and Samaria, Judea, and all the parts of the world. Basically, he was saying, go share your faith. Be my witnesses. So he was looking at him, and he was saying, be my witness. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the word witness means to be a representative, to look like what the person that you're following. But in the early church, the word witness and the word martyr were synonymous. Now, that means when you said that you were a witness of Jesus, most likely you were a martyr for Christ too. And in the early church, for the first couple hundred years, most people that that stood out or stood up or stood against the world often were killed for it. And so if you said you were a witness of Christ or follower of Christ, you most likely died a martyr's life. So if you would look up the word witness in the Bible during that time, the word martyr would be a synonym for it. What has happened since then? No longer do we see that. We see it in pockets of our world, in places of our world. But literally to be a follower of Christ meant that you would be willing to give your life. And so as we look at the end of the Old Testament, we're, we're, we're moving forward and 3,000 years ago, right before God wouldn't speak again for 400 years, he's going to say at the end of this letter, it's like a parent writing a letter to their child, they're getting near the last paragraph, and the next to last paragraph, they're reminding them of the good thing it is, how, how powerful it is to follow and listen to what they said. And so he's about to tell them, please, follow me. And here's why. There's benefits to following Christ. Grab your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Malachi chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Last book of the Old Testament. We're going to read chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. It's the almost last part. The letter's about finished. Malachi is reading it to God's people. Stand with me and we'll read it out loud together. Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Keep in mind, these were God's word. And he had him, he gave him to Malachi. And so Malachi is looking at all these people of God. And he's saying these things that God had spoken to him to say. Let's read 13 through 18. Ready, read. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son and serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. You may have a seat. We're seeing right away that God is looking down and he's seeing a faithful remnant that's still left. And so he's telling Malachi, make sure when you talk to them, make sure when you read this word to, to tell them that, that to stay with it and to call out those who aren't following hard after me. Nothing's changed. Like this letter, we could read it today and we just did, and that's the beauty about God's word. It could be addressed to the church of Jesus Christ in America. It could be addressed to the church of Jesus Christ in Goshen, Indiana. And the truth of the matter is this, some are following wholeheartedly, some are very lukewarm in their faith. But God is saying, I want you to be a faithful remnant, and when you are, there's benefits, there's blessing that comes. 
And yes, it can be very challenging to stand up for God. And many are unwilling to. And it appears at this time in history, most had turned their backs on God. Now think about this for a second. They were privy. They were 3,000 years closer to hearing about the Red Sea crossing and hearing about the manna and the quail that appeared every day and and hearing about Noah's ark. And and they were so much closer than we are to those stories that, that the stories were passed down. God did this, and they were able to see the monuments in, in, in God's country. And they would walk by and say, here's where they crossed the Jordan River. Here's where the Battle of Jericho took place. They were so close to what God had done. They were almost second and third and fourth hand witnesses to it. And some would pass that story and yet there was still a small remnant that remained faithful. And so God's last word is, please, please, children, follow me. When I leave, please follow me. It's like a, a parent looking at their kids and saying, please, I know there's all these things that want to pull you into, this, into their world. And they're saying, come, do this, do that. Please, a dad looking at his kids and a mom looking at their children saying, please, when, even when I pass, when, when God calls me home, please, please, please always follow Jesus. It's worth it. And yet most had turned their backs on God. And they begin to posture this belief that says, We're not any better off following God. Look at the ones who don't even follow God. In fact, they say it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and giving and and going about like mourners before Yahweh, the God of the angel armies? But now call again, bless. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to test, they get away with it. And so they have this group of people that are trying, they want God because they want something from him. They want him to do something for them. And they're looking at the world and say, well, they have this and it's better and that's bigger and they have more. And Like, God, where are you? I, I've given my life to you and, and this is all I have. I'm barely making it by. Nothing's changed. And God is saying, wait a minute. You want to trade the temporary for the eternal? You, wanna, you want something that's not Christ in me? You're saying that Christ in you isn't enough? Your, your, your lenses are looking as this, this is your home. Earth is not our home. We are alien and strangers just passing through, making a difference. But our home is with Christ in eternity forever. And so God is saying, make sure you know where your permanent address is. You see, it's easy to get caught up in that because I, maybe, maybe you'll live 50, 60, 70. Maybe you'll live 80, 90, 100 years. And if you take just, just say you lived 100 years, 100 years, you put that in the context of a, 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 a timeline that's affinity, it's barely a blip on the timeline. And if you're valuing that more than eternity with Christ, God is saying, wait a minute, come back. This is what you have. You have Christ in you. That is way more valuable than anything you'll ever own on planet Earth. So these people are just, they don't understand. It's because their lenses are treasuring temporary stuff instead of a permanent relationship with Christ. And so they say, they prosper, they get away with it. They, they, they. And so they're looking at God and God say, Malachi, tell them, tell them, it's worth following Christ. Because Christ is way more 
abundantly more, imaginably more than what they'll ever have in a temporary possession of anything on earth. The problem with that kind of thinking is they're clinging to the wrong treasure. They lost sight of what truly a treasure is. They traded the temporary for eternal. I watched my younger son Isaiah grapple with this as a nine-year-old. On our first trip to Cambodia and Thailand to visit our our rescued children, orphans in, in, in Thailand and Cambodia, Isaiah went along. He was nine and flew the other side of the world, and he was a real trooper. It was a great trip for him and, and my children and my wife. And when we landed in Cambodia, obviously the kids loved Isaiah because he was about many of them their size, and they had an international connection. They could both smile, so they would sit each other and smile. You know, just they arm wrestled and wrestled. You know, it was fun watching even Isaiah. He at nine years old, that's boys do it all across the world. They get in a room and they're just arm wrestling each other, and then they smile at each other. And you know, it's the international connection that was taking place. And so he bridged this relationship with these kids quickly. They kicked balls, they threw balls, they kicked soccer balls, and and he just loved on it. And there was a language barrier. But before we left Cambodia, one of the boys who had struck a relationship with Isaiah walked up to him, tapped him on the back. And in his other hand, he reached out and he handed him this marble. And he looked at Isaiah and he said, here. He handed him this marble. Now, let me give you a little context. At this point, our children, all that they had in every room, every child had a, had a, a laundry basket. In the laundry basket were a set of clothes that they wore, and there were hygiene things that they owned. But basically, that was it. Many of them had just been rescued, just months away. And so they, they were being fed every day and cared for. But everything they owned, they picked up and they carried in the laundry basket. And one of these boys had found or had been given a marble, which was a very valuable treasure to him. It was all that he had. He reached over and he gave it to Isaiah. I'll never forget as Isaiah came to me. And he walked over, Anne was with me, and he began to say, and he said, Dad, Mom, he gave me his only possession. He gave me this this marble. Tears running down his face. And I began to weep, and Anne began to weep, realizing the significance of that gift. So we left Cambodia and we're on this bus that takes you out of the the city and takes you to Phnom Penh so you can fly to Thailand. It's about a five or six hour trip um, on this bus. And and we're about, I don't know, an hour, two hours into this trip. And I could hear Isaiah, you could see he was distraught. And he began to say, dad, mom. And he realized that he had lost the marble. He had stuck it in his pocket or put it in his backpack and he couldn't find this marble and he was looking everywhere frantically for this marble. And and, and, and so we could have said, I say, it's just a marble. There's, we can go to Walmart and get you a hundred. We can go to Target and get you 50 packs of them. It's just a marble, Isaiah. It, 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 it's not worth much. But we understood the significance of it and he understood the significance of it. And I would have torn that bus upside down to find that marble for Isaiah. And so we began as a team, looking everywhere on this bus, trying to find this marble. Isaiah was tearing his seat apart. He was crawling under the chairs, seats, trying to find this marble. And I'll never forget, it rolled its way and worked its way up. And one of our teammates went like this. And the look on his face was, this is a treasured possession. It wasn't the marble that made it valuable. It was the relationship that was connected to the marble. And God is saying this. 
what you actually have and possess might not be as valuable as what the world has, but the relationship attached to me and you is invaluable. And it is a treasured resource to you. But the world wants to tell you that Christ isn't enough. That in order to be successful, in order to, to, to have what we would say to be in the end group, you need this, you need that, you need bigger and better. And God is looking at this group and saying, you are arrogantly speaking against me. And you are asking and saying, it is futile to serve God. Yet there is a remnant that's there that's saying, no, no, it's not futile to serve God. Christ in me, the hope of the world is more than enough. The same message is spoken today. You see, God is with you and lives in you and promises to work all things out for his good. And the people were saying that God was insignificant and irrelevant because they didn't have a pedigree camel. We don't have what they have. God's saying, listen, what you do have is enough. I am enough for you. Oh, for the grace of God, and when I look at this passage, that God just didn't zap them all. But he loves us too much. He wants us to understand, and he keeps coming back time and time again. He's patient with us and loving with us. And here in the end, before he spoke again for 400 years, he's reminding them that he is enough. You see, we quickly lose sight of that in this temporary life that we're in because we think that the possessions that we have that we hold on to are more valuable than a relationship and following hard after Jesus because we don't often see the benefits of it. We are a society that wants, we want to see it now. We want the drive-through version and return from Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I put the card in, give me something back. God, I've been following you, now reward me. God, I did this, I want that. God, I've been doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this, and I'm not getting anything. And yet they don't do anything and they're getting everything. Have you ever said someone, seen someone say that? Have you ever said why is it that I'm following God and I have such hardship in my life? Why is it that I'm given everything and I have this sickness? Why? And they, they, they mock the name of Jesus and they're put in charge. You see, here's the problem with that thinking. We think that the moment we see them there is how they'll spend and end eternity. That's not the picture that we see from the word of God. I'm reminded in Joshua chapter 24, when Joshua looks back and the people are getting all frustrated and basically many of them are like the Israelites that came out of Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. It was better when we were in slavery. And he's saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. While most were running from God, there was a faithful remnant there. Then it says this in verse 16. Look what it says. It says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened. And what? What's the word? Heard. Look at that again. Then those who feared the Lord, who are called children of God, talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard them. Think of, imagine that for a second. Those that feared the Lord. What's it mean to fear the Lord? Does it mean that we cower like every day? Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death of God. I, I'm, I'm fear. No, fear of the Lord in this context is to respect and, and, and have awe and reverence for. 
It means they honored the Lord in every action that they did. There was this remnant that was left. And God is saying today, are you part of that remnant? Are you part of that that group that's still holding on, that's still pressing on even though others aren't? It means to hold him above everything else. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, Proverbs 14.27 says. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by evil. It's this idea of, of, of respecting and honoring and, and going against the grain when the other people are saying, no, 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 do this. No, 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 compromise there. No, no, no. And you're saying, no, even if I don't see it in my life, I will still follow God because he's my God. And the faith will gain the attention of God. Look what it says in the second half of verse 16. It says, first he says they feared. And then it says, the Lord listened and heard. I love this visual picture because of all the people on earth. It's this picture of right now, as you walk through your life, as you begin to do something for God and you talk about God, it's as if God says to the angels, shh, listen, come here, listen to my kids. Look what they're doing. It's this picture that he's trying to, to tune in the frequency to yours. It's, he's trying, you're driving down the road and your radio gets knocked off and you're trying to tune in because you heard a song that you're like, oh, come on, I need to stay there. Have you ever listened to a song and you're traveling out of state? Like, no, don't leave me. And you try to tune, you think, oh, can I find, maybe it's 97.4, maybe it's 6, and you're tuning, you're tuning, or maybe you're one of those who keep listening to it. And your wife says, turn the channel, why'd you turn the station? But I like this song. It's this picture of God hearing, and he tunes in the frequency, and everything else is shut out. He listens, and he hears, because we're talking about him. It's the parent who eavesdrops on their children in the room next door. It's when your kids have a friend over, and you're wondering what they're talking about. And so you strain without them knowing. It's like, you lean in, and you just kind of walk by the room. It's this picture as God's walking by the Oh, they're talking about me. And you just lean in, and then you hear him say something about Jesus. And as you walk by, you grin because they're talking about God. That's the picture God is doing, taking care of earth, and, and he's looking down, and all of a sudden he comes by our house. And he leans in and listens to us. Let me just ask the question. When's the last time you think God's done that with your conversations? Or is it full of gossip and murmuring and complaining and whining? It says he listened and he heard and he tuned in to them. He strained his ears to their frequency. It was just too good to change the channel of that person's address on earth. And then what he does next just blows my mind. Look, look, what, look, look at this. I mean, this is just too good. And it says this, after he hears it, a scroll of remembrance was written in his present concerning those who what? Feared the Lord and honored his what? Stop and pause and just, just pragmatically think about what's happening here. The God of the universe takes notes and records it in a book. So he pulls out his journal and he begins to write. Jim said this. Jim did this. 
he leaned in, and there's this picture. It says that there's these, these books or these scrolls in heaven that record when we fear the Lord and honor his name, when we follow hard after him, and he writes it down as a parent would in their own journal. It's a parent watching their children grow, and they have these moments, and they write. It's, it's, it's your mom or dad writing your note. It's my parents who often will send me a note, and in this note, they'll say something. They'll say, Jim, you know, I'm proud of you. Jim, Jimmy, I'm so grateful that you're doing that for the Lord. Jimmy, it's this picture, and I receive that note, and I don't throw them away. There's a drawer in my room that I drop them in because it's from mom and dad because I want to honor my parents. And God is saying, when you honor me, when you fear me, when you love me, I pull out a book and I begin to write it down. And I mark down these moments because that's what the children of God should be doing. And it puts a smile on my heart. When's the last time God wrote something about you? Consider this, when we remain faithful when no one else does, or we stand and hold our ground for Jesus when others work so hard at destroying it, God takes note of it and writes it down in a scroll of remembrance in heaven. You see, there's no hypocrites, God is saying here. No whitewashed tombs that Jesus talked about in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus did say, hey, there's no such thing as a knockoff Christian. It's either you're in or you're not in. And so if we look in Scripture, even in, listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this. He says this in Matthew 23 regarding our lives. He said, no whitewashed tombs. I need the real thing. And when you are the real thing, you gain the attention of God. And when you follow God, we're going to see not only does he write something down, he also rewards it. And he says this in Matthew 23, 27 to 28. He says, you're hopeless you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped. The flowers are bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. God is saying, please, follow me. Be part of the faithful remnant. Stand up and stand out and stand against. Teens, let me just speak to you. It is worth it to follow Christ as a young person. It is worth it to stand against the peer pressure that you find yourselves in. It is worth it as college students. It is worth it to stand up for Jesus, even in that moment, if it means you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friend to cling to. Jesus is enough. It is worth it. It's worth it even when people don't agree with you. Because Paul said this in Galatians 1.10. Paul said this, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Then he says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Listen to me, followers of God. God is saying 3,000 years ago, and he's saying to us today, 
Follow me. You don't need to please anyone but me. Even if it means that you have critics coming down your back, it is worth it listening to the Spirit and standing against and moving forward, even if no one is there to stand with you. It is worth it to follow Christ. And sometimes you take a stand for Jesus, and you'll get criticized for it. Let me just give some thoughts. Criticism, there's constructive criticism. You can learn from criticism. But what is often at the root of criticism for someone who sees you taking a stand, often in a good way for Christ? Here's some thoughts on that. If you find yourself criticizing others, you're probably doing it out of resistance. When we see others beginning to live their authentic selves, it drives us crazy if we have not lived out our own. Think about that for a second. How many times have you done something for Christ? You you just felt compelled by God to go do it, and you received more criticism than you ever did. Often it's because of resistance, because these people seeing you living it all out for Christ, and they're not, and they don't want you to either. Criticism. One person said it this way, that the critic hates most that which he would have done himself if he had had the guts to do so. See, jealousy and pride are often the root of criticism, but it shouldn't keep us from not moving on and doing all that we can for Jesus. How many times have you made a bold move for Jesus only to have someone to tell you all the reasons you shouldn't have done it or even try to rally troops around to stop you from doing it? It's, it's because at the heart and the core is a jealous spirit and a prideful heart trying to keep you from doing something they wish they would have done. And God is saying, I'm watching you. You're a faithful remnant. You're doing something that the rest of them aren't doing. I applaud you. I see you. I hear you. And I am writing it down in my journal. Keep standing brightly and boldly for me because you will be rewarded for it, even if you don't see it right now. And it doesn't make sense that it appears that it's futile to serve God. It's never futile to serve God. Ed Lewis called me up this week. He's a friend and he's a director, national director of CE National, which puts on a lot of ministries across our world. I'm John, Pastor John and I are board members, and they have ministries in Urban Hope, Philadelphia, and they have, they have ministries to pastors, and they, they have a youth conference that happens, and many, almost 100 of our teens and, and student leaders will be part of it this summer. It's a conference called Momentum. About 2,000-plus people gather every year in the summer for this gathering of teenagers. So he called me this week, and I picked up, and I saw it was Ed, so I called him back, left the message, and he's on the other way, and he's driving to Philadelphia. Just, he says, Jim, we need to do something for our teens in this world. Please, Jim, please pray with me. We've been praying for revival. We've been praying that, that God would just show up in a big way at IWU University this summer. Please, Jim, pray that teen students wouldn't hold on to temporary stuff. Please, Jim, pray that they would be followers and not just talk about it. Please, we need students that will be all in for Jesus, please, Jim, pray, pray. And he, he's just, just broken hard over it. He's asking me, look, be part of this, Jim. Would you be part of this? And when you share, and, and so it was, just, it was just longing from this man seeing teens to stand up for God. It's the same heart that's here. God is saying, listen, faithful man, continue to stand firm. And we need others to turn from the path that they're on. 
You see, when we're lifting up the name of Jesus and when we talk about him, it's called praise and it's a testimony. We make his name great and we make Satan's name less. Do you realize in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it says this, it says that, that we overcome the evil one, Satan, by the power of the blood and the words of our testimony. Now, process that with me for a second, what that means. We overcome God by the power of the blood. We understand that, the work of Christ on the cross. And then, in addition to that, it says that by the power of our testimony, we overcome the evil one. That's why Paul says, rejoice evermore. In everything, give thanks. That's why the Bible says that we should have a, 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 an attitude of gratitude. That's why as parents, and I would encourage dads that lead your home, make sure your home is a place of gratitude and thanksgiving. Because when you praise the name of Jesus Christ, the enemy is defeated and he can't come in your house. Think about that for a second. It's one of the values that Ann and I have in our home for our house to be a house of praise. And so we'll often grab our kids and say, what did God do today? Let's, let's give God praise. And as we sit and eat, we talk about the good things of God and we praise God. And you know why we do that? Because when we praise the name of God, we overcome the enemy who tries to come trouncing through our home. I encourage you business owners every day, take moments and just praise God audibly because this is when you talk about him, it gains the attention of God. Those of you who are in the workplace, and it might be the most horrible workplace there is in your mind. But as you work, do as this, you're doing it for the Lord. And as you're there, you praise God because it says when you do that, you push back the enemy from you. If you go with an attitude of praise. You see, they weren't gossiping. They weren't criticizing. They weren't wasting their words with all the negative stuff. But when they spoke about the greatness of God, it gained his attention. He listened, he heard, and he wrote it down. I wonder as they heard this for the first time, as Malachi was reading this letter to these early 3,000 years ago followers of God, and as he's reading, I wonder if the murmuring began, boy, we're in trouble. Or I wonder if that remnant that was there, stay faithful. Hey, even though they're not with us, we have God with us, and that is enough. And if God is with us, no one could stop us. And then it says this. Look what he does next. I mean, not only does he write it down, not only does he hear it, not only does he want us to do that, and then it says this in verse 17. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession, and I will spare them, just as a father has compassion, and, and what his son, what's it say? Spares his son who serves him. Look at that again. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as the father has compassion, and spares his son who serves him. There's this picture. He spares us from what everyone else will receive. That is an awesome promise. Then it says we're his treasured possession. That's very important that somehow... When God sees us being faithful and we, we're the faithful remnant, he sees us as a treasure possession and basically says, I'm going to spare them. I'm going I'm to not allow that to come their way. I'm going to spare them from the hardship that's there. I'm going to, that, that they don't have to, to walk through that. I'm going I'm to keep that away from them. Let me just speak to people, all of us who are Christ followers, and sometimes it's difficult. The word of God says this, that if we follow him and we run hard after him, 
that we become his treasured possession, much like that marble was with Isaiah. We be- it becomes such a precious thing to us that we fight for it. We turn the bus upside down for it. We know that there's relationship attached to it. It's valuable to us. And then it says not only will he treasure us, but he will spare us us from what is to come. He will exempt them from experiencing something. He will prevent them from having it happen. How does it happen though? 1 Corinthians 15, says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And the Bible says, if you want to become wise, walk with those that are wise. You have to ask yourself this question. In the circles that I'm in, while I'm in these circles, am I being influenced about around by these people who have bad character or am I influencing them? Am I growing wiser because of the people that are with me or am I walking with people who are unwise? There's this sense in scripture in our world today, if you want to get grow wise, you walk with those that are wise. And if you want to have godly character and you want to be sharpened by another brother, then you need to walk with people whose character is exemplary and who follow hard after God because if you don't, you will be misled. You see it happen all the time in schools. You watch it happen in college. You watch it happen with singles. You watch it happen in married couples. The people that you run with is who you will become. Listen to me. The person that you are being today is the person you are becoming tomorrow. The actions that you are doing today is making you into that person tomorrow. So the people that you hang with today, the the, the way they're impacting your life and allowing them, you are being that person, then you are becoming that person. So take a good look at your surroundings. If you're not influencing and you're being influenced, then you are becoming just like them. There's some unbelievable just stats out there in regards to to teens and how they're being influenced to believe lies about relationships. Kenny Luck, who runs Every Man's Ministry, has done some research in regards to teens. And this is what he's found. Christian or non-Christian, doesn't matter. He said that just under half of the freshmen in the room or any room that you're in have already had sexual intercourse in high school. 50% have had sexual intercourse. Over half the students in front of him or me have had oral sex in the last 30 days, Christian or non-Christian. Three quarters of the females have had casual intercourse in the last year, Christian or non-Christian. Every third boy, he says, that I see has had three or more sexual encounters within the last year. Come on, man, this stuff just disturbs me. Then he says this, 75% of the girls and 55% of the guys who have had sex in high school or college privately regret it and wish they could have a do-over. Listen to me, teens. It is a lie from the pit of hell, and it is sin to have sex before marriage. Don't let some swooner come along and feed you a bunch of lies. Run, 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 even if you have to run alone. Kenny Luck goes on to say this, sex is expected. Young adults feel obligated to be with a lot of people sexually and are not having much success going against the pressure. Over 50% of all high school graduates 
across multiple studies report having had sexual intercourse. For those 16 years or younger engaging in sex, these young adults will have between three to five more sexual encounter partners before the age of 20. And you will regret it. You see, it's difficult to stand for God. But it is worth it. Can I have three amens? It is worth it. You see, there's benefits attached to following God too. It says that he will spare them. As a father has compassion on his kids, he will spare them. I like basketball, and I'm a basketball fan, and I you know, watch college basketball. And by the way, I know you, this will be great news, best news you've heard all day when it comes to sports, that the University of Maryland Terps, not Big Ten, okay? Las Vegas has them as the preseason number one team. Does that just make your day? just makes your day, doesn't it? <laughs> it means nothing to you, I realize. But for three brown boys, we're like, woohoo! <laughs> but do you realize there was a basketball player by the name of Dikembe Matumbo, he played in the NBA. Tall guy, probably 7'4", seven, 7'5". Seven, and he had a gesture that when someone would try to come into the paint or dribble down the lane and try to cross over or dunk on him or score on him, he would stand in the lane and he would try to block it. And after he blocked the shot, he would run down the court and go like this. <laughs> and every time they came in and they would come in, he would stop the shot and he would run down the court and go... <laughs> Like, not on my watch. I get this picture of God that says that he will spare them. Just as a father has compassion and spares. And it's this picture that when Satan comes to wreak havoc on your life, when, when the enemy wants to divide and destroy you standing up, God stands there and says, not on my watch. It's not happening here. And there's this picture that this posture where God steps in, this protection around you. And when the enemy tries to come and destroy, and when your, your friends come and, and want to destroy, when, when they want to take you down a path, it's this picture, if you've been faithful to God, and he just says, uh-uh, no, 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 no. He will spare us from the incoming assaults of the enemy. Now listen to me. When God says, no, 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 It's no, 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 no. Like, who doesn't want the God of the universe guarding the gate of your home, guarding the gate when someone wants to come in and do something to your business? God says, no, 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 no. When God of the universe guards the gate of your marriage and and something wants to come in, he says, no, 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 no. When God of the universe comes to your stands at the doors of your church and someone wants to come and God says, no, 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 no. When God guards the gate, the enemy won't get in. And he says, I will spare you. And sometimes the sparing is is not allowing people who are trying to destroy the work of God to remain there. Get going. He spares us, says. He spares us. Basically, it says this group will be left untouched. And so he says this in verse 18. And I and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. 
I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's an encouragement to me and to you too. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So when you serve God, no matter how mundane that task might feel to you, it is never useless to serve the Lord. Never underestimate the power of our God to reign in your life. And never overestimate the power of Satan's control over you because Jesus is always, 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 always greater, 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 greater. So he says there's a distinction. Look what he says again. He said there would be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. The definition of a distinction, there's a, it has the idea of difference, contrast, dissimilarity, a variance, a variation. And when you're marked for distinction, it means you are someone who's going to do well in this life. You will set your part, yourself apart from the world and others. Distinction means being set apart often by excellence. It's not a knockoff. It's the real thing. And when you stand for God, he rewards it. Fast forward, if you can. Many of us have been to funerals, and the funeral of someone who knows Christ is much different than someone who doesn't know Christ, because it's just a promotion to heaven. And the joy that's in the room, knowing that they're there, sure, we grieve, but we'll know we'll see them again if we have a relationship with Christ. But often during a funeral, you'll have a microphone on this side, and you'll have a microphone on that side, and the pastor often says, if you have some testimonies you'd like to share about these people, just come up. And people work their way up, and they tell stories that are meaningful. She did this, or he did that, and often we laugh or we cry. It's good. It's a great way to grieve. It's it's important thing to do in the grieving process. But they 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 have a scroll of remembrance. There's something that you've done that they remember, but their minds are finite, so they can't recall everything, so you're scrambling, what will I say? And so they come up, and it causes us to think more highly about that person, hopefully. Well, picture, if you can, service is almost over, and the pastor says, can you take those mics away? And he looks at the ushers and the workers that are there. He says, bring another mic. Put it right here. People are like, Whoa, why'd you get rid of those? Like, you just got done with the testimony. And then you open the back doors of the church or the funeral home, and in walks Jesus. He's going to give a eulogy. <laughs> He's going to say something about you at your funeral. And you're like, what will we say? Because you know what he says is 100% truth. So he walks up, reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out the scroll of remembrance. And he begins to read. At six years old, they gave their life to Christ. They learned how to ride a bike, and while they were riding their bike, they told their neighbor about Jesus. At 10 years old, they were obedient to their parents. At 13 years old, they invited their friend to youth group. At 15, they said no to sex from that neighbor boy. And they said, this is why, because the living God lives in me. At 19 years old in college, they said no to drugs. 
and they said yes to Jesus, and they were all alone for that first year in college, but they stood for Jesus. At 29, they were faithful in their marriage. At 39, they were still faithful. At 41, they led a Bible study in their home. At 42, they fed the homeless and told many people about Jesus Christ. On their deathbed, I was there. And as they were dying, their last words were to the nurse, Do you know Jesus? The scroll of remembrance. God has it, and it's written about you. What will he write? Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray, God, that we would connect the dots that it pays to follow you. I pray, God, that we would realize that the only thing that we need is Jesus. I pray, God, that in the morning when we rise, it would be, give me Jesus. And when we pass, it would be, I had Jesus and that's enough. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts and that we would remove the things in our lives that are causing us to not be all in for you because Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus should be our most treasured possession. In Jesus' name. Amen.